once again, that through these words, that you will adjust our eyes to what is real, permanent, and eternal. Father, once again, we confess that we are people who are fixated on what is temporary and fading. And we're really bad at looking at what is eternal and real. We pray that you will, through these words, give clarity of sight to what truly matters, that what, what is truly real and what is truly certain. Give us a certainty of our resurrection, Lord. All these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this is Easter Sunday, the central event in the, to the Christian, right? Um, I think growing up, I think, I don't know, uh, churches have, done, done, have not done a really good job, in my opinion, when I was growing up. I love all my youth pastors and, you know, who tried their best to describe for me the, the, the importance of the resurrection. But it is as, by the grace of God, it is the, 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 the importance of the resurrection becomes more real to me as I journey on this Christian world. Um, the resurrection is a center place, is a central event in the life of the church, in the life of the Christian. Jesus Christ has, the resurrection is important, is the central event for the Christian, because the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows that God has accepted Jesus' redeeming work. Jesus has come to redeem his people. The word redeem means purchase back, to buy back. All of us have, by the, by the, by the virtue of Adam's rebellion and Adam's sin and Adam's guilt and Adam's nature, have, did not belong to God. We belong to Satan and death. But in order to buy us back from the reality that we're born into, Jesus Christ had to die, pay for our sins, pay for the penalty of sin on the cross, of our sins by dying for us on the cross. The wages of our sin is death. All of us sinned. All of us fell short of the glory of God. And what we deserve, but in order for us to be made alive, in order for us to be made righteous and justified before him, Jesus Christ had to die on the cross for us. But if Jesus just remained dead on the cross, if he did not raise from the dead, then Paul says we are still in our sins. Because if Jesus Christ just died and once not raised again, all that proves is that the penalty of sin is death, right? If he just died on the cross and just remained dead, he just proves the point, right? His death just proves the point that the penalty of sin is death. That's it. That's just the point. He needed to be resurrected to, to, for God to show the world that not only has Christ paid for our sins by dying for us, by being raised again, God shows the world that not only has Christ died, but he has raised, and by raising from the dead, that God accepts his work on our behalf, and God is making us just, God has justified us. If he just remained dead, it just proves the point that the penalty of sin is death. 
but being raised from the dead, God shows himself and to all of us that God has accepted the work of Christ. And because he has risen from the dead, we are no longer under the penalty of sin. We are justified. We are made righteous and just before him. The best example I can give you is, I think this is Josh's favorite story. Like, four, 15 years ago, right, I passed the red light in downtown Fairfax, right? A couple of cops in motorcycles pulled me over. They gave me a ticket, right? $160, I think. And I tried to, like, use the pastor card, the perfect driving record card. Didn't work, right? I think it's racism, right? Anyway, right? So, so man, the man is getting me down. So he gave me a ticket, and I go, oh, man, racism, and so, right? And so, and so, like, a couple of weeks later, right, I tried to, you know, being a good citizen all, right, being a good, upstanding member of the Virginia State Bar, I tried to pay the fine. And during, that during those days, I guess it's a little bit more, less sophisticated during, the, during those days, the way you pay your parking ticket is you need to just search your name. And guess what? Did you know the name Jay Lee is very popular in Fairfax, Virginia? Did you know that? So I tried to search my name, Jay Lee. Okay, and like, there's so many names. Okay, Jay Wookley, my real Korean name, my birth name, right? And then, Lord and behold, my name didn't appear in the Fairfax County website. I go, what's going on? So I called the Fairfax County number. And I said, look, I'm going to pay this fine. Like, but my name doesn't appear. And the operator said, oh, that pain has already been, that fine has already been paid. The love of God. Because someone paid the fine, I am now justified. In the, in the traffic law of Fairfax County, I am now a justified person. I am made right again. If someone just paid the $160 and did not designate my name, they wouldn't know who this fine was for. But the fact that the fine was specifically paid for my name, I am now justified in the eyes of Fairfax County, Virginia. Praise the Lord. Amen? The death of resurrection, it's as foolish as remedial as my example is, that's how the resurrection of Jesus Christ works. He has died for us to buy us back from death and sin. And by being resurrected, his resurrection shows that we have been justified in the sight of God. We are, now no, we, are no, we are no longer enemies of God, but we are justified in God's sight. The resurrection shows that we're justified. That's why it's so important. The resurrection not only shows that we are justified, the resurrection always show, also shows the, eter the eternal destiny of those who have been justified in God, in, in, in God will the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows what, the, what those who have been justified in, in, in the sight of God, what their future eternity will be. Just as Christ has been raised from the dead and has, has, have been, has been given a new resurrected body, we too will be given that resurrected, similar resurrected bodies. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, it's, Paul says, Jesus Christ is the first fruit of, of salvation, which means 
He is what his body was 2,000 years ago in his resurrected state, is what we will be in our resurrected state. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ points to what we will be. That is why the resurrection is a central event in the life of a Christian. But it is not only the central event of the life of the Christian, it is the central event in the life of this world. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ, after, from, the, from the date that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, God has begun the process of putting this world back together again. Remember my Good Friday sermon, the Humpty Dumpty sermon? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horse and all the king's men tried to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, but they couldn't. Because if you, someone took a picture? Uh-oh. Right? So <laughs> the world, because of Adam's sin, has been shattered like Humpty Dumpty. Right? Like people's health and life and psychology and spirits, they've, they've, it's all been shattered. Because through Adam's sin, the world had a great fall. And from that day on, people try to fix the world back together again. But like Humpty Dumpty's king's horses and king's men, men and women in the world could not fix this world, cannot put this world back together again. They can't. No matter how hard we try, no matter what technological advances, no matter how much money we pour into it, no matter what we try to do, we can do our best, but we cannot put this world back together again. It is only Jesus Christ and put this world back together again. He will complete the complete, he will complete the putting together back of the world again when he returns. But the beginning phases of him putting the world back together again began as he was as began as he rose from the dead. It is the central event of the human of the church and of the world. This is all good theological explanation. I did a really good job, by the way, of you know, giving you what the resurrection means. But then you are sensible people. Then you must ask yourself, okay, that's fine. Great. Fantastic. I will be resurrected in the future. Great. But what about what I'm going through now? Yes, it's, yes, it's great that I'll be resurrected from the dead in the future. But what about what I'm going through now? What about the unemployment that I'm facing? What about, you know, like my failing health? What about my broken relationship? What about the fact that I want to be married, but I don't have anyone to marry? What about the fact that I want to be, go to a certain career path, but it's not working out for me? It's great that I'll be resurrected, but what about now? What, how is God going to you know, solve the immediate hopeless situation that I face right now? Have any of you faced an immediate hopeless situation? When I think of immediate hopeless situation, I think about, I don't know, 13 years ago, 14 years ago, when my, firm, when my big firm laid me off. The word, you're fired, or, or they don't say you're fired anymore. They did it in a nice PC way. But the moment that I knew I was going to get the shaft, 
enter darkness and hopelessness. As Metallica said, exit light, enter night. Right? You know that song, Dan? Right? Dan knows that song. Right? Night came in, and all I see is, all I could think about is, what am I going to do? How am I going to take care of my pregnant wife? She was pregnant with Charlotte at the time. I was on an H-1B visa. I had to go back to, do I go back to Korea? What do I do? That hopelessness that suffocates me, I know what it feels like. Another immediate hopelessness. When my first college girlfriend says, I don't, want to, I don't think we should see each other anymore. <gasps> Exit light and turn night. Right? Hopelessness. Feeling of suffocation. You know what that feels like? What do we do? The resurrection of Christ is dandy, and the resurrection, and now we resurrect in the future. That's all great and all. But what about the night that I face now? How does the resurrection of Jesus Christ change that? This is how the resurrection changes. If we are truly convinced of the fact that we will be resurrected, just as Christ resurrected, if we're convinced that we too will be resurrected, and that resurrection is a certainty, what happens to us is, for those of us who are just facing immediate hopelessness, when the resurrection becomes certainty, we're able to look beyond the immediate stress, immediate hopelessness, to see the world that is to come. When we are certain of the world that is to come, what we're facing right now doesn't look scary. Do you understand? What the resurrection does is it gives us the ability to see beyond what is immediate. And when we see beyond what is immediate, we have hope and courage in the most darkest of times. And this is clearly demonstrated in the life of the apostles. John chapter 20, verse 19, we find the disciples hiding in a little room somewhere because they were hiding because Jesus Christ died two days ago. The Jewish, the, the Jewish like, leaders and the Roman govern, governors crucified Jesus. And they were so afraid because they knew once they eliminated, eliminated Jesus, who was the, re, the rebellion leader, the next people that they're going to come after are his lieutenants, which are the apostles. That's true, right? When you are quashing a rebellion, you just don't quash the leader of that rebellion. You, you quash all his followers, especially his lieutenants. And they were afraid that the man is going to come and kill them. They weren't wrong. What, what did the Apostle Paul do before he became the Apostle Paul? He was a persecutor of the church. He went out and persecuted Christians, right? So these apostles were afraid because they knew certainly that they will die. 
exit light, enter night. All they saw was the night, and that night told them that they're going to die. They were afraid. Then Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, appears before them. In that room when they were cowering, Jesus, the risen Jesus appears before them. He shows them his nail-pierced nail, nail hands. They show him, he shows them his side, which was pierced by a spear. And they look at it, and they touch it, and they, re, and they realize it was really him. And it says, when they realized it was him, they started to rejoice. Night exited, day came in. I can't believe I'm quoting Metallica so often today. The fear of death, that exited. And the hope of life came in because they were certain that Jesus Christ was alive. Not only that, Jesus Christ, after his ascension, sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into the apostles' heart and, he, and the Holy Spirit made certain to, in the apostles' mind that everything that Jesus has taught them about him, him himself and the eternal kingdom of God, that was real. The Holy Spirit persuaded them that the eternal kingdom of God was real and that Jesus Christ was really God. And there's a real eternal kingdom awaiting for them. When they were persuaded by that, the threat of death no longer became a big deal. How do you know? Those, those dudes were hiding because they were, they were afraid to die. Now they went out in public and start preaching about Jesus Christ. Those of the, those, they were cowering at night. But when, when God and the Holy Spirit reveals to them what truly is real, they were confident. How do you overcome the immediate hopelessness that you are going through right now? Your eyes have to see what is real. And what is real? What is eternal? What is permanent? What is certain? It's the new body that you will have when Christ returns. Comprende, por favor? Do you understand? For those of you who are going through difficulties right now, whether it is Relationship-wise, whether it is career-wise, whether it is church-wise, whether it is health-wise, I don't know what your night is. And certainly you should pray to God that He will, you, he will give you the, the ability and move the, move the pieces of your life to resolve these issues. Certainly you should pray for all that. But more importantly, you should pray that God will adjust your eyes to see what is more real and certain and permanent which is your risen body when Christ returns. You need, I need, adjusted eyes to be fixated on what is permanent and eternal rather than dwelling on what is just immediate. Right before today, coming to church today, I was listening to Tim Keller's sermon. Right? And Tim Keller, God bless him. He says, the world 
is longing. People in the world are longing, are just eternal, eternally longing. They're longing for bodies that they will never have. They're longing for love that they will, ne that, that, that they will never get in this world. They're longing for friendship, for eternal love that, will, that, that, that they will never really get. Because the eternal friendship, the eternal love, the eternal bodies that we all long for cannot be found in this world. It is found when God completes his kingdom in the world. There are few moments, few moments in my life that is like, you know, that I always, like, there's always like particular scenes in my life that I, that I remember, that's burned in my memory. And one of the scenes that I, rem that I frequently remember is 20, 20 years ago, right? I was like walking in the streets of Seoul and I saw this woman, I think she was anorexic. It was, it was like a skeleton walking. I've never seen such a skeletal person in my life. And I, I just think about her occasionally. And what I remember, and what I realize, the reason why I feel bad for her is because when she looks at her, look herself in the mirror, she will see someone who's fat. Clearly, that's not the truth. But she sees someone who's overweight. She's longing for a body. She wants to have a certain body. And she's starving herself, thinking that if she starves herself enough, that she could achieve this perfect body that she's longing for. But that's not true, right? There is no, the body that she longs for cannot be found in this world. It's found in the resurrected body. All dudes, you want a successful career. You're basically, the, your, your, your desire for a successful, successful career is a desire for glory. You want glory. You want acceptance. You long for these things. But these things, Keller says, are not meant for the things of this life. It will come when Jesus Christ returns and when you will, be, you will have glorified bodies. And the resurrection... Christ is telling us, one day you will get all these things that you long for. It's, but but it's, it's not here yet, but it will come. And it will certainly come. Fix your eyes on what is to come. Did someone say amen? I wish someone would say amen when I preach. Very sincere, Sean. That's what Paul is getting at in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's go. I promise I'm going to end on time today. Verse 1, Paul says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal. Paul, Paul when, he, when, he, when he refers here to the tent, earthly tent, he means his body. Paul describes his and our earthly bodies, what we have right now, as a tent. For those of you who know, who are really good fathers and husbands who've taken your kids and family to camping will know, that tents are by design temporary abodes, right? 
unless you're like financially strapped or something, you take tents because you know that's just a temporary housing when you're in outdoors. Paul is calling his body a tent. It's temporary. And he says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly body is destroyed, the word destroy here means, Paul is saying, there is a good possibility that, I'm, that this body that I have is going to be destroyed because of persecution. Paul says, I, I, I am in no under, I, 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 I'm pretty sure that the body that I have will be destroyed because of persecution. But he says, but that doesn't matter. Why? Because we have a building, of God, building from God. The building from God, what Paul refers to when he says the building from God, he means his resurrected body when Christ returns. When Paul says building of God, he doesn't mean like this mansion in heaven. He doesn't mean that. He means his resurrected body when Christ returns. So what Paul is saying here is, even if my earthly body is destroyed, it doesn't matter because I have an eternal building in heaven. That doesn't matter. Verse, what, verse 8, he says, Therefore, I'm of good courage. It doesn't matter what happens to me in this world. I have courage, because I know what I will be in the future. Destroy my earthly tent, he says. In fact, maybe it is better that my earthly tent is destroyed, because if my earthly tent is destroyed, I get to be with God. And that's what I prefer more than being here, Paul says. You see what Paul is saying? It doesn't matter what, what happens to this earthly tent. Because this earthly tent is temporary. What is eternal is my resurrected body. What a guy. Paul it has a very realistic, but Paul also pictures, gives us, Paul has a good understanding, right, of the reality of life here. In verse 2, not verse 2, verse 4. Verse 4, he says, For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. So Paul knows that living in this world is burdensome. We have burdens in this world. Paul doesn't paint any rosy pictures of his life in this world. He says, living in this world, there are burdens in life. And he understands what burden means. In, 1 Corinthians chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the chapter right before chapter 5, Paul describes his ministry as this. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side. He's saying when he does ministry, he is like, he faces pressure from all over the place. Like he's, he's, he's being pressured. Paul says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but he's not, but God, but he's not crushed. He says he's perplexed. He says, often I have no idea what to do, where to go. You feel that way sometimes? Paul has no idea at times of what to do or where to go. He has no idea. He's confused. But Paul says, he is perplexed, but not in despair. He is persecuted, but not abandoned. 
struck down, but not destroyed. Paul faces pressures. Paul doesn't know what to do. Paul is persecuted. Paul is struck down. That's how he describes his ministry. These are the burdens. And you know all this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, I face danger and death every single day for the gospel's sake. Not only Paul faces external burdens, he feels internal burdens. Romans chapter 7, he says, There are things in me that does not want to do what is right and wants to do what is wrong. Paul recognizes there's a struggle of sin inside of him. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I discipline my body. I deny my body. I say no to my desires. Once again, Paul describes the internal struggle of his, you know, of, 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 of fighting his sins. So Paul knows what it means to have burdens in this world. Just like you have burdens, just like I have burdens, he knows the burdens of life. But Paul also knows the certainty of what he will be in the future. That's what verse 3 is about. Verse 3, he says, Indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. What this verse basically means is this. He says, the resurrected body that I will have is not just a theoretical, theological concept. There is a real body, Paul says, that he will put on. There's a real resurrected material body that he will put on in the future. For Paul, the body that he will have in the future is something that is absolutely real. Remember the guy that I always frequently tell stories about who wants to retire when he's 40? And he lives, even though he makes six-figure salary, he lives the life of a, like a poor man because he's saving every cent he can so that he'll retire by his 40. He's able to do that because he envisions himself of where he will live, what he will do when he's 40. He can order Domino's pizza to celebrate Valentine's Day. Right, $5 special Domino's pizza to celebrate Valentine's Day. He's cheap like that because he knows when he's 40, he knows where he will live, how he will live. He has a clear vision of what he will be. Just, just like that, Paul has a certain vision of what he will look like, not look like, but he will be in his resurrected form. Paul knows the burdens of this life, but Paul also knows what is waiting for him. What does this do to Paul? Paul says, because he knows the burdens, but he also knows what he will be, Paul says in verse 2, we groan. Paul says, oh, it's burdensome now, but I also know what I'm going to be. When I look at what I'm going to be and when, I, and when I look at what I have right now, I groan. I groan because I long to be with what, what I long to be what I will be in the future. I'll give you a big example of what Paul means. My family is really into hotels, right? They're just love hotels, the fancy kind, right? They love fancy hotels, which means they don't like camping, right? I'm a horrible father. Never took, never took my kids camping, right? But let's say, you know, you know, I don't know, Sean Kim rebukes me saying, you should be a better dad and take your kids camping. I go, okay, Sean, because I listen to whatever Sean says. So I take my daughter camping. Amen, Amen right? So I, I borrow a tent from Sean, and I take them camping to Bull Run Park. 100% guarantee 
Then my daughter, the moment she, at night, the moment when the mosquito starts to come and, not mosquitoes, flies come to come and when she had to sleep outdoors, she's going to say this, I want to go home. I want to go home. The moment the trials of outdoor living hits her, she's going to realize how good she had it at home. And she'll say, I want to go home. She, that's the groaning. She's going to groan like that. That's what Paul means here. He says, oh, there's a great home for me, waiting for me. But my life here is hard. So I just want to go home. That's the groaning that Paul is talking about here. Do you have that groaning for eternity? That's how you know whether the resurrection is a reality to you or not. You just can't wait. You just can't wait to go home, to be with the Lord. You have no desire to make it here. You have no desire to Make your established kingdoms here. That's not your desire. Your desire is that you want to be with the Lord. That's how you know the resurrection is real to you. Every time I face troubles and trials, there's a song that I always sing in the back of my mind. And it's a secular song. And that song goes like this. I am sailing I am sailing across the sea. How does it go? I am sailing, I am sailing across the sea. How's it go? <laughs> I am it's, uh, okay, I am sailing, I am sailing home again across the sea. I am sailing stormy waters to be near you, to be free. Oh, Lord, be with you to be free. When I'm in my trials and darkness and all, when, when, ex, when, when light exits and darkness enters, I sing, I am sailing. I want to be with you, Lord. I want to be free. Do you have that thing? Are you longing for the day that you will be renewed? Are you groaning? That's how you know the resurrection is real to you or not. The question is, how do you make, how do you make this groaning? How do you groan like this? How, do you, how does the resurrection become a certain reality to you? Verse 5, Paul says, He who has prepared for us this way he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. The very thing is about the resurrected body. He who has prepared us for this thing is God, who has given us the Spirit, Spirit as a guarantee. How do you know that you will be resurrected from the dead? How do you know that you will have new bodies? God has given you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. A guarantee is like a down payment that you put down, right? as a promise, right? When you make a promise, if you put a guarantee down, you know the promise is that, that you're going, to, that the person who put down the guarantee will, will, will fulfill the promise, right? When you're purchasing a home, 
you need to put a certain guarantee down, right? So that to ensure that you're not going to renege on your promise. The bigger the guarantee, the more certain that you know that the person will fulfill that, his promise. How do you know that we will be resurrected from the dead? God has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is God himself. This means is this. Paul means how do you know that you will be have a resurrected body in the future? The ministry of the Holy Spirit that is in your life right now. If the Holy Spirit is in your life right now, that is how you know God will fulfill this promise. For every God has given the Holy Spirit to every Christian. If you are holy, if you are a Christian, if you have been redeemed, if you have been born again, the Holy Spirit resides in you. And the Holy Spirit ministers to you. And the Holy Spirit persuades you of what is real. How do you have a true understanding of heaven that leads you to groan during the burdensome times of your life? It is a testimony of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, is the Holy Spirit active in your life? Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will give you the counselor who will direct you and counsel you and walk with you to persuade you of what is real and true. Is the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you being ministered to by the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit really does his ministry. He really does. Man, this past week I was on vacation. Right? I was a week vacation, right? Holy week, right? I want to visit my son. So I was on vacation. Great. I worked only 40 hours a week. It was great. Working 40 hours a week is great. For those of you who only work 40 hours a week, you haven't made, man. Right? Oh, it was great. I got to date my wife, had really good conversations with my wife, and I see the Holy Spirit ministering to my marriage. Last week I said, Lord, I don't know how to like, you know, take care of my family. For those of you who talk to me know that that's one of my prayer requests. How do I minister to my family? And you know what the Holy Spirit did? He gave me the opportunity to talk with my wife and my kids. And, we, and he, he gave me the opportunity. He ministered to my family. He really does minister to his people. Are you letting the Holy Spirit minister to you? If he is, then you know that that's a guarantee that God has given you. To, to ensure you that in the future you will be raised like Christ has been raised. Is the Holy Spirit ministering to you? I told you, the newlyweds, Hill and Jamie, hey, to have a successful marriage, you need the Holy Spirit to minister to you. If the Holy Spirit is ministering to you, you know that this is just a temporary, this body that you have is a tent. What you will have in the future is a resurrected body. Do you want to have a clear view of what you will be? Ask the Holy Spirit who resides in you for clearer vision. Oh, man. At five minutes. Okay. Quickly. Paul is saying, doesn't matter what happened to my body here, because I know what's waiting for me. But Paul just doesn't mean, okay, that, you know, your future is set, then live however you want. That's not what Paul is saying. There are some cults, right, who, th who thought Jesus was coming back in 1998, right? How do I know 1998? I'm sorry, 1999, right? Right before the millennial term, right? 
So there, there are calls in Korea. There are a lot of calls in Korea. If there's a call, it's pretty much started by Korean, right? So like, the 1999 Jesus is coming cult. What this cult did was they sold all their possessions and just waited for God in the mountaintop in Korea. Guess what? Jesus didn't come back in 1999. And they sold all their possessions and just waited for Jesus. Waste of time. Paul, doesn't, Paul isn't saying just because you have a future resurrected body, it doesn't mean you can just live however you want now. That's not what he means. For those of us who will be resurrected in the future, there's a specific way that Paul calls each one, each one of us to live. Number one, he says, we live by faith, not by sight. Right? How, well, how do you live right now in this burdensome body that you have in this world? You live by faith and not by sight. Living by faith means having your mind fixate on, on the promises of God. Having your mind fixate on the truth of God. Letting your mind be led by you know, the requirements of God. Living by sight means being led by your desires, being led by the philosophies of the world. Paul says, don't do that. Don't be led by what is immediate. Whether the immediate be worldly philosophy, worldly desires, whatever it is, don't be led by what is immediate. Led by what is real and true, which is the knowledge of God. Have, being living by faith, not by sight, means saturating your mind, defining your mind by the narrative of the truth of God, not the narrative of the world. Do you understand? It is very tempting for us to be driven by the narrative of the world. I've been, I'm old enough to know that there, there, there are narrative shifts of the world. When I was a young kid, it was, in the 80s, it was all about material success. Be led by material success. Now the narrative of the world is be led by I don't know, social justice. Everything is social justice. Everything is about fighting, the, fighting racism and wokeism and all that stuff. Don't be led by what is immediate. Be led by what is eternal, which is the truth of God. Second thing that you need to live for. By, by the way, I'm cutting a lot of stuff out, by the way, right now. Not only do you live by faith, not by sight, right? Verse 9, whether we are at home, away, or, uh, at home or away, which means whether it is we live in this tent or it is our eternal home, Paul says we make it our aim to please, please him. The word aim means ambition. Paul is saying, while I live in this world, in this tent, my highest ambition is to please the Lord. He does everything to please the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I think it is. Four, um, is it 3 or 4? Correct me if I'm wrong. Paul says, hey, those of you who criticize me, you know, like, remember 1 Corinthians? Some say, I want to follow Apollos. I want to follow Paul. I want to follow Peter. Paul says, hey, those of you who either criticize me or those of you who think I'm, I'm, I'm a great guy, guess what? I don't care what you think of me. Because it is not you who judge my work. It is God who judges my work. Paul's not saying, I don't care what you think of me. I'm going to do whatever I want. He's not saying that. But he's saying, my highest aim, the reason why I do ministry, is to please the Lord. That's our highest ambition in this world. Why do you love your husband and wife? It is not to make them happy. That's a side, side purpose. The primary, way of, primary reason why you're loving to your spouses is to please the Lord. 
When I was younger, I thought my job as a husband was to make my wife happy. Happy wife, happy life. Stupid. My goal in life is not to make my wife happy. It's important, but the reason why I want to make my wife happy, it is so that I can please the Lord. Why do you do what drives you to excellence in your work? It is to please the Lord. Why do you serve the church? It is to please the Lord. Your highest life, aim in life right now, is to please Him. Amen? I get an amen in a tent, but I don't get an amen in this. How dare you? Please the Lord. And last thing, Paul says, be aware of the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 10, Paul talks about, there is a judgment seat of Christ where he will sit and he will judge people for what they have done, how they have lived in this world. The judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. Paul is saying, at the end of time, Jesus will sit on his seat, and he will judge you for what you have done in this world. He's not, Paul is not talking about Jesus judging, like Jesus judging your sins. That's not the judgment seat he's referring to in verse 10. Jesus is not going to sit, the judgment seat that Jesus, Paul is talking about here is not sinner, go away, or sinner. This is not talking about that kind of judgment seat where Christ will judge our sins. No. The judgment seat that Paul is talking about in verse 10 is a, is a seat where Christ will sit, and he will judge you for how you have lived, whether good or evil. He will judge you whether you, what you have done in your body is whether good or evil. The word evil here doesn't mean moral bad things that you do. The word evil, Paul, Paul mentions in verse 10, is another word for is worthless. So in the judgment seat of Christ, Christ will see whether the life that you have lived was for good or that it was worthless. Whether you are believer or unbeliever, all of us will be judged by how we live in this world. Once again, this doesn't mean salvation for the Christian, but it means there is an account of how you have lived, what you have done. Whether what you have done was good or worthless. Paul says, while you live in this world, as you are aware of the judgment seat of Christ, do not live for worthless things. Live for what is good. You know? While you are living in this life, while you are living in this tent, fixate your eyes on what is eternal. Be led by faith and not by the dumb philosophies of this fallen world. Strive to please the Lord in everything that you do. And be mindful that how you have lived, you and I will be accountable for. Take your time and your life and your resources here seriously. For you will have to give account in the judgment seat of Christ. I'm very proud of myself. I finished all that. But most importantly, once again, ask the Lord to make certain in your eyes what is truly valuable and real 
which is our resurrected body that we will have when Christ returns.